Let me open in a word of prayer and we can get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for yet another Lord's Day. Father, what a gift to be able to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you, our living triune God. Father, help us now even as we just consider uh, this ongoing uh, Sunday school class, Lord, even uh, living as a church regarding church fellowship this morning. Uh, give us clarity of mind and, and soft hearts to receive your word, Lord. We want to be growing as Christians, growing even as a local church in our love for one another, even as we have been loved by you, our great triune God. So help us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So can I check, are there handouts this morning? I forgot to check, okay. So we got handouts. You can see there, class six, church fellowship. Church fellowship. Building a bond of unity. So to open, let's just think about the term fellowship. If you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, the term fellowship isn't necessarily unique to Christianity, right? It's, it's a noun, the word fellowship. It can be applied to many different things. But what happens when it's modified by the adjective Christian? What is, what is unique about Christian fellowship? This is one of the things that we're going to be discussing this morning. If you think about different, different sort of um, community events out there in the world, uh, the, the tailgate party at a football game, maybe, you know, the lunchroom at work. I don't know how much, how much um, fellowship or community you get in the lunchroom at work anymore. Maybe there's some in some, uh, in some places. But what makes Christian fellowship different from worldly fellowship or friendships and relationships? Well, the answer is it's based on Christ-like love. Christian fellowship, as distinct from other types of communion or fellowship or, or community or fellowship, are based on Christ-like love. So in the first few weeks, just a little bit of a very quick rehash of where we've come from here. We've seen how unity is formed in the church through our identity of our new, through the, our identity, our new identity in Christ, right? We're united in Christ as believers. We've looked at various aspects uh, of our life together as a church. Church membership, the primacy of preaching in the life of the church, prayer, church governance. So again, today we're going to really zoom in on fellowship within the church and specifically how church members love each other based on the bond of unity that God has formed in us. So what do relationships look like in this spiritual and supernatural community? That's one of the arguments that I've been making all the way along. The Christian church is a supernatural community. What does that look like as opposed to a natural community? Something that the world knows about. Um, so next week, we're going to be looking at the negative side, how to deal with discontentment in the church. But this week, so, so, so wait for that. If you've got questions, you've got discontentment, we're going to cover that. Even how to hopefully deal with that. This week, we're really going to zero in on church fellowship. So that's the introduction. 
Let's look at point two. What characterizes healthy relationships in the church? Well, I've already started giving it away. It's, it's, it's simple and yet profound. It's Christian love. Christian love. Again, I think that noun needs to be modified by that adjective, Christian. Christian love. Christ-like love is what makes our fellowship distinct from every other earthly community. So just consider John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus uh, said this to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So why is love important then? Again, Christian love. Well, God is glorified when people who, and this is something we've been looking at, when people who have very little in common other than Christ are loving each other, right? Across sort of traditional societal boundaries, across demographics and interests and sort of affinity groups, right? We saw how from Ephesians 3, the previously clashing people, the, the Jew and the Gentile, the dividing wall of hostility was torn down through the gospel. So where you had two different people groups who historically hated each other's guts, right? The gospel has brought that dividing wall down and Jew and Gentile can now love one another in Christ. And we looked at how even in the heavenly realm, the angels are in awe at this reality, right? God has chosen the church to put on display the, the amazing grace and, and even his glory in the gospel. It doesn't make sense to the watching world. So another aspect of this then is, is this Christian love is a pale reflection. It is a reflection, but this side of heaven, it's a pale reflection of the unity of love in the triune God. So just consider, many of you are familiar with uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. John 17, 22 and 23. Jesus speaking to the Father, praying to the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So the foundation of all Christian love then is found in the reality of our triune God. God is love. And God is not love fundamentally and primarily because he loves us. Maybe even contrary to some popular Christian opinion. God is love because in the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was perfect love and fellowship and communion in eternity past. So out of that overflow of love, he created and he redeems. If God is love merely because he loves us, what was he before he created us? You see, see where I'm going? 
he then becomes reliant upon his creation to be who he claims to be. See that? So God is love because in, the, in eternity past, there was perfect fellowship in love in the triune being of God. And now, Christian fellowship is a picture of that love that we've been brought up into. So let's just, let's just look at a few aspects here. A few more aspects of Christian love. And this is sort of um, in, in highlighting our love for one another. The, the great, uh, great awakening pastor, theologian Jonathan Edwards said this. There's a really simple definition. Christian love is that disposition or affection by which one is dear to another. So as Christians, we are dear to one another because we are dear to God. Being God's child involves loving what God loves, and God loves the church so much that he purchased her with his own blood. So God's love models then that love isn't merely an emotion or a feeling. It's a disposition toward another that expresses itself in concrete action to bring about the person's ultimate good. So one of the things that I like to point out often is Christian love, it's, it's much more helpful to understand Christian love in its verb form. We can talk about it in its noun form. The Bible um, very often talks about it in its verb form, right? Uh, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He did something to express his love. So based on Edward's definition then, we could say that Christian love is a disposition toward one another that expresses itself in concrete action to bring about that person's ultimate good. So let's just notice a few things here. First, what this means for us as sinners is Christian love is hard. Christian love is hard. We need to be realistic about this. Love begins with our hearts, being loved by God, but then expressing that love to others. And it's hard because we're sinners. We're still sinners. God is working on us. So just consider how many exhortations there are in the New Testament, the one another's, right? The one another passages. We're told again and again about these, we're, we're exhorted again and again by these one another passages. Why is that? Well, it's because we need to be reminded over and over again. In our flesh, we do pre prefer ease to hard conversation. We naturally prefer relaxing to serving. We prefer having our needs met to giving our preferences up. And of course, the people that we've been called to love are sinners as well. So people will say things that are awkward and insensitive. People will resist our counsel. I mean, I was just thinking about this. As a pastor, one of my fears is I know that I'm opinionated. And it's, it's very helpful to be married because my wife... I can get that, I'll get that glance from her, right? And I know that maybe it's time to shut up. 
Whereas before, as a bachelor, you just get into a whole mess, right? So we say things, right? We rub each other the wrong way. Part of what this should do, though, is help us appreciate how patient and kind Christ has been with us, right? He continues just to show us incredible patience and kindness. So second, while Christian love can be difficult, we can show such love because of God's grace. Again, because God first loved us, for it's John 4, 19. So what does this mean? Well, it means that it's not a tit-for-tat love. It's not, a, and again, this is where the world operates, right? Well, okay, we invited you over for dinner, so now you need to sort of return the favor, as it were, right? This is the, very much the way we operate, a tit-for-tat love. Well, again, it's just important to point out um, our ability to love comes from God's love for us. So God is both the source and model of our love. Just consider this uh, quote from Jonathan Edwards again. He said, quote, It is from the breathings of the Holy Spirit that the Christian's love arises both towards God and men. The Spirit of God is a spirit of love, and therefore when the Spirit of God enters into the soul, love enters. God is love, and he who has God dwelling in him by his Spirit will have love dwelling in him. So I was just at the King and His Kingdom conference this, this weekend. Some of you folks were there. It was an excellent conference put on by Fairview Baptist Church, Pastor Tim Stevens, and uh, it was just a, 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 a beautiful reminder of the Christian fellowship that you can enjoy with other brothers and sisters in Christ when you don't even know them. You've just met them, right? And we've ex- even experienced that at our conference here that we host annually. You'll meet Christians that you don't know, right? But you get talking, and you can enjoy warm fellowship, right? And even love for one another because of the, our common bond in Christ. So that's a beautiful thing. So just considering a little bit more than in God's love for us, even in, in, in the action of his love, we all know John 3.16, right? God sent his son into the world that we m- might not perish but have everlasting life. Well, just consider 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So in other words, we can't grow in maturity and loving others unless we are growing in our comprehension of God's love for us in Christ. It's actually an important point. The more we appreciate the magnitude of love Christ has shown us in dying for us, the more our lives will be characterized by love. So, so, brothers and sisters, do you want to be growing in your love for one another? Well, part of the way that that's possible is by growing in your comprehension of God's love for you. Luke seven forty seven. Jesus said, He who has been forgiven little loves little. And what's implied in that verse is if you have been forgiven much, you will love much, 
Uh, third aspect of Christian love, it, it brings great joy. It brings great joy. So loving others doesn't just do them good. It brings us the kind of sturdy satisfaction that we were created for. Our, our souls were created for that type of love and fellowship and even the joy that comes from being united together in Christ. Psalm 133 verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Or what about John? What does he say in, in John, uh, sorry, Second John verse 12. He's writing to the church. He says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. I don't know about you, when I, but when I read Second and Third John, I sort of wish they would have written a little bit more so that we could have, we could have read it. Um, but you can see the purpose clause there, right? He's writing, or rather, he wants to see them face to face so that our joy may be complete. So there is joy in Christian fellowship. Um, so moving on, point three, what, what is loving fellowship look like then? We've sort of discussed this a little bit. We're going to dig in a little bit more now. You can see that to, to, this is the final section, but it's got six points. What does loving fellowship look like? Six aspects of Christian love and fellowship. First of all, fellowship and diversity. So we've sort of covered this a little bit, but let's revisit it. Fellowship and diversity, love seeks understanding. So in Christian fellowship, again, you've got folks, the, the Lord by design is calling and saving folks from all different backgrounds, demographics, ethnicities, hobbies, interests. So there should be lots of things that would cause us to not love one another, sort of in the natural sense. But again, it's by God's design it's by God's design calling people from all these different backgrounds to love one another in Christ. And one of the ways that that happens is we're seeking to understand each other across our differences. And again, this needs to be qualified by saying within the bounds of Christian orthodoxy, of course, right? That needs to be said. But we're seeking to understand each other's hopes and dreams, we're seeking to understand each other's struggles and sins, backgrounds and battles. So Christian love seeks reconciliation when there's been alienation and warm friendship where the world has drawn lines of separation. So in other words, when the world says, no, 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 you guys shouldn't be friends, the gospel comes in and says, well, no, we're united in Christ. We truly love each other. So can you imagine a church like this doing this perfectly? I mean, this is what, what heaven will be like. A community where people put in the effort to make real, substantive friendships with those of different cultural backgrounds, who aren't in the same age range, different stages of life, different personalities, 
all because of our common bonds in Christ. Now, now a cost needs to be given here, and again, this is, I mean, the world talks all, all about diversity in our day, but there's a couple cautions here, or one caution at least. One of them is tokenism. Tokenism. Beware of tokenism, right? So what does this mean? Well, don't pursue someone different from you only to check off your box, your, your personal diversity box. And, and again, in this increasingly sort of communistic worldview that's being forced upon us in our culture, this is, this is sort of being shoved down your throats right now. Well, that's not love. That's <laughs> trying to force this, you know, the state trying to force this in an ungodly, unchristian manner. It's, it's actually satanic. And it's void of true, uh, meaningful love for one another. So we pursue people that have many differences then because Christ has died for them and because we want to see them grow. So, I mean, I, I would just say I praise God that there are many examples of love across boundaries in our church. I, I mean, right now, being an inner city church here in Bridgeland, the nations are literally coming to us. I mean, you can just see, look out, right? People of all different backgrounds, ethnicities. And we love one another because we are, the Lord is knitting us together because we are his children in Christ. We're, we're a local expression of the family of God. It's a beautiful thing. So fellowship and diversity. Second, fellowship in service. Love requires sacrifice. I've sort of touched on this earlier. First uh, John 4, 10, and 11. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, here's the exhortation: if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So one of the ways that we do this at Calvary Grace, and, and, and we're commanded to in Galatians 6, is to carry each other's burdens. So our own church covenant uh, states that we, will, that we agree to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. If, if you've been a member here uh, for a time, you'll remember being at, at members' meetings, which we try to have quarterly. I think realistically we maybe have three a year. But we recite our church covenant together, right? And, and part of what we are reciting is we agree to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. So how does this happen then? Well, we're coming alongside one another during times of challenge, times of trial, times of, times of joy and times of sorrow. So, the, so the, the, the word here literally means to help carry their load, right? You picture someone who's maybe got a massive load of groceries in their hands, and you're coming alongside them and taking some of the bags from them and then walking together. That's sort of the picture that you see there. So this could mean uh, providing meals for someone who's in need, uh, giving groceries, giving a loan, giving a ride, childcare. It may uh, mean giving up your Friday night to visit someone 
who is sick. So service in the church, obviously, you know, there's a lot of volunteer, a lot of volunteering that needs to happen as well. So you got child care, you got security, you got child care, you got hospitality, you got child care. Um, I think it's important to recognize, too, if you're the type of person who loves to volunteer and loves to sort of check off that box and get stuff done, well, maybe you need to be investing more in those sort of messy relationships, which actually can sometimes be a little bit harder than just sort of volunteering on a Sunday morning, right? Um, so just take a look at your personality. Look at, take a look at your inclinations, right? If you're the type A go-getter that just loves to volunteer, but there's no, maybe there's no real meaningful discipleship relationships in your life. You've got to take a look at that. Ask the Lord uh, to help you develop those relationships. So that's second fellowship in service. Third fellowship in truth. Love leads to holiness. And I would say this is, um, this is an important distinction between what the world, you know, just thinking about all this diversity stuff in our culture uh, fellowship in truth. Christians fellowship in truth. Love leading to holiness. So unlike other communities, we are marked by an unusual personal transparency and bold honesty as we speak the truth of Scripture to one another. So Jesus asked the Father, again, in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 17, sanctify them in, in the truth. Your word is truth. Paul told the Colossians, uh, Colossians three sixteen, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Just consider 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. One of the very easily missed verses that's in that chapter, is love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with what? The truth. The truth. So true Christian love is characterized by love for the truth. In other words, true Christian love actually hates falsehood and deception. So let's just consider these two aspects. First, transparency. Telling the difficult truth about yourself uh, can be hard. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So brothers and sisters, are you, are you confessing your sins to one another? Again, I, I mentioned a, a few weeks ago, this doesn't mean you're going to be best friends with the around 180 church members at Calvary Grace, right? So this isn't a call to, I know in some Christian circles, it can sort of be, I remember even volunteer, used to be a staff at a Bible camp for a number of summers, and it, it almost became a thing where it was cool to sort of air out all your dirty laundry, as it were, right? So the whole world just knows all of your struggles. That's not what I'm calling for. And it's not me, it's, I don't think that's what the scriptures are calling for. So here's a helpful question. Do you know even maybe one or two people in the church that you're able to confess your sins to, right? 
you're, you're able to unburden yourself to them. You're able to pray together. And you're, you're able to be transparent and open and honest with that person. Um, if not, uh, and, it, it, and that's been prolonged, that's been going on for maybe years, that is a problem. That is a problem. So if you're a true born-again believer, I would say if that's not the case for yourself right now, you need to ask the Lord to help you develop those relationships. It's a mark of Christian maturity. So the second aspect then is the truth and even proclamation. So telling the truth about God and his word at all times, uh, even when it's difficult for someone to hear. So Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. That's important. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So this, this can include just sort of normal Sunday morning interactions. It includes one-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship. So one of the books that we've sort of mentioned here uh, over the years is David Helm's one-to-one -one Bible reading. It's a beautiful, excellent little book. I think it's like 80 or 90 pages. David Helm, one-to-one -one Bible reading. What that book demonstrates is having these discipleship relationships can actually be beautifully simple, right? You just get to get together with another brother or sister in Christ. I mean, I would say with the one-to-one, you want to you wanna try to pick someone of the same gender, right? Um, you're going to go through the Gospel of Mark together. And there's, there can be very little prep, right, in your busy schedule. You're just going to meet every second week and just read through the Gospel of Mark together. And, you know, ask questions, pray together, stuff like that. David Helm, one-to-one -one Bible reading. Really good resource. Uh, this also involves uh, uh, exercising a spiritual watch watchfulness over each other. So Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what this means then is some of us need to, to be cultivating the ability to rebuke in love. In love. Most of us probably naturally shy away from this because we don't like confrontation. I'd say particularly as Canadians, right? We're just sort of nice people, but nice isn't actually necessarily loving. So it's actually the loving thing to do to um, admonish, correct, even rebuke when necessary. We should especially watch out for those who seem to be wandering from the truth. So just consider James 5.19. My brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So do you know friends, maybe even members, uh, here at this church who seem to be wanting from the truth, right? They seem to be maybe start, starting to be, ask those cynical questions, maybe of their faith, or maybe they're showing up once or twice a month, right? We want to lovingly um, 
approach these people and have these conversations. And of course, we're, we're not only called to speak the truth to each other when it's an issue of sin, right? Uh, the whole book of Proverbs showcases the value of wise friends who can address the general habits and patterns of our lives. So we want to be growing in our ability to speak in each other's lives, even in examples like this. Would taking that job cause particular stress in your family? Would going on that business trip put you in a, in a situation of temptation and potential sin? Are your habits of spending time and money oriented fully toward what God values? These are just sort of some examples, right? Of sort of loving one another and even sort of holding one another accountable. So I praise God that this church is a place where we are learning to do this. I was just thinking about this this week as I was going over this material of preparing just some examples that come to mind. Alan and Marilyn Chow uh, are discipling younger believers in the faith. The South Ladies Bible Study that my wife has benefited so much from over the years, and she is involved uh, in leadership even in that with the ladies. The youth group where Jared Harfield has labored so faithfully for the past few years, and now Jared and Cora Carey are taking over, right? These are just some examples in this church where people are, are pouring into the lives of other people, right? And of course, there's countless other examples. Those are, that's just some, some examples that come to mind, right? This is evidence of the Lord's working in this fellowship. So that's fellowship in the truth. What about fellowship in forgiveness? Love extends mercy, so our fellowship isn't different from the world only because of our willingness to tell the truth, but also because of our willingness to forgive, our, our willingness to extend mercy. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So Christ's forgiveness then is the basis for ours. It's the fuel it's the ability to forgive because you're remembering how much you have been forgiven by Christ. So when someone sins against you, what is the natural instinct? Well, it's probably one of two things. It's to withdraw in bitterness, right? Maybe you give the cold shoulder, the silent treatment, right? Maybe you get to cut off that relationship. Or it could be sort of payback and revenge, Maybe even a, in a sneaky sort of conniving or malicious way, you're going you're gonna to even maybe strategically plan how you're going to get back at that person. Well, needless to say, this is not the Christian response. That person, just consider this, that, that person that has sinned against you, God has not given them the cold shoulder. God has not cut them off. God has not withdrawn from them. In fact, God the Son has paid for their sins. The revenge, the, the payment has been made. So to try to hold some type of payment that they need to give to you, I mean obviously other than reconciliation and forgiveness, but to hold some type of debt over their head 
is actually wicked. Christ has paid the price for that sinner, for that brother or sister. God, Christ in his body has absorbed the just wrath of God. Justice has been done so you can extend mercy. And you must, we must. So how can we cultivate this posture of mercy then, knowing that we will sin against each other? Well, I would say, and this is an important one, we should regard others as having good intentions and motives in their words and actions, rather than jumping to conclusions. Again, this is a really tricky thing when we've got different personalities, right? Lots of opinions. I mentioned my opinions earlier, right? We can just rub each other the wrong way. And then, and then the words that we use, right, can maybe be understood wrong. I, I mean, this is sort of the challenge of living post-Babel, right? One of the things that Babel did, I mean, it, it's actually post-Genesis 3, but Babel isn't merely the complications that were brought into this fallen world with many different languages. It's even being able to speak the same language, but talk past each other and misunderstand each other, Right? Um, I mean, how beautiful will heaven be then in that sense, where your words, right, will be understood uh, properly, right? And, and maybe even the motives and intentions behind the words will be God-glorifying. So for now, in this fallen world, then, humility provides the benefit of the doubt to the brother or sister, Uh, let's move on uh, to point five, fellowship in suffering. So love brings comfort. Uh, suffering has a way of strengthening our fellowship, and we've certainly experienced this over the years as brothers and sisters have suffered as, as we've borne each other's burdens. So Second Corinthians uh, 1, 4, and 5 says this, Christ comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So what this means then is our relationships should be characterized by a warmth and gentleness that is a reflection of the compassion of our Savior. There's this beautiful verse in Mark one, Pastor Clint would have uh, covered this months ago. Uh, Mark 1, 40 and 41, a man with le- leprosy came to him, that's Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now listen to this, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. So, Jesus didn't have to touch the man with leprosy to heal him. He could have just spoken the words, right? But what, what he's demonstrating there is, is an incredible compassion uh, to this man. Because, of, of course, with leprosy, it was actually part of the Old Covenant law, right? When someone comes too close to you, you have to cover your mouth and yell, unclean, unclean. So this man had not experienced physical touch in who knows how long. You know, it could have been years, decades. So Christ reaches out to him and actually touches the man 
and heals him. It demonstrates, too, that he can't, Christ himself cannot be made unclean. He actually makes clean. So it's not part of God's design, then, for Christians to suffer alone. I think this is a big one in the West here in, in, for Canadian Christians. We live, again, in such individualistic um, sort of society and, and sort of almost we live in this mode of wanting to be self-sufficient, right? Well, if that's not God's design. If you're suffering, one of the ways God intends to bring you comfort is through the church. So if you know someone who's suffering, uh, it's during that time, that, that time isn't the time for the word of rebuke, but for the Christ-like touch of compassion, for the gentle word, the hug, the prayer, maybe even just simply sitting with someone. So it's also important to recognize that meaningful relationships need to be built so that when suffering comes, which it will, you'll be in a position to ask for help and receive it, right? So just consider this. When we gather on any given Sunday morning, there are people in our midst, you might be one of them, we've got brothers and sisters who are suffering in one way or another. It might be pain and disease, maybe suffering with infertility, maybe with some type of heartbreak or grief, the, the death of a loved one, a sick loved one, perhaps with despair, financial crisis, maybe even with some form of persecution, right, at work or whatever it is. So let's work then to make it our habit to offer comfort to one another, to bear each other's burdens in this way through listening, through prayer, through practical help, through visiting one another. And I would say, again, be prepared to humble yourself. Be prepared to humble yourself and ask for help. This is, this is, this is, uh, this is something that true born-again believers delight, we delight to help one another in, right? Okay, last point. Uh, fellowship is one body. Love considers the whole. Just a few points here. Again, you're not going to be best friends with all 180 members in this church. So what does this look like? Fellowship is one body. First, I mentioned this before, pray through the directory if you can. You're on CCB, just try to make it a habit. Even pray for one or two people from the directory per day. Go through it alphabetically. Even if you don't know that person, just apply um, Paul's prayers, right? You, learn, learn to pray God's word back to him for people that you might not even know very well. Second, make it a goal to disciple one or two people who will then be able to disciple others also. I mentioned the David Helm book, One to One Discipleship. It'd be a beautiful thing if, if each member here was in some type of discipleship relationship, maybe being, maybe being poured into and then maybe pouring into somebody else. Uh, third, one of the most practical loving things we can do for the good of the whole is just offering faithfully to the Lord, right? Your, your tithes and your offerings is what keeps this church uh, going. So it's based on the generosity of the whole for the good of the whole. Or rather, maybe more accurate to say, the generosity even of individuals for the good of the whole. 
Uh, fourth, commit to attend members' meetings. So I would say just about members' meetings, these are not, don't, don't be fooled, these are not just merely um, business meetings. It's not sort of like maybe, maybe some of you guys come from a background where you got your AGM, right, your annual general meeting, and you're just going to be bored to tears for three hours about all sorts of numbers and everything else. I mean, that stuff is important, but it's not just that. It's not just business meetings. At members' meetings, we're actually affirming one another's profession of the faith as we recite the covenant together. We're affirming even new members into the congregation. We're affirming that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And even when brothers and sisters depart, if they're leaving on good terms, we're affirming their resignation, right? And that we want to see them land in another healthy gospel-preaching church. So those are different things that happen at the members' meetings. Even, um, even overseeing the mission of and the health of the church. Well, I need to conclude here. First uh, Corinthians 13, verse 8, just consider this. The Apostle Paul says, love never ends. So you consider those three, faith, hope, and love. Just consider this. In the new heavens and the new earth, faith and hope will actually no longer be necessary. Our faith will be turned to sight and our hope will be realized. That's one of the, the things Paul is getting at when he says, but love never ends. So it was Jonathan Edwards who said, heaven is a world of love. Heaven is a world of love. So brothers and sisters, we have that to look forward to even as we grow in our love for one another um, this side of heaven. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful uh, thing uh, the local church is. Father, only you could think up uh, something like this, a community of believers where there's warm, loving Christian fellowship uh, to the point that even um, the angels and even, even in the demonic realm, this, the, the uh, different uh, spirits and powers a watch in wonder as you unite people in Christ and even grow us in our love for one another because we have, been such, uh, we have been loved by such a great love in Christ. So grow us in our fellowship here, grow us in our unity together, in our love for one another. Uh, prepare our hearts and our minds now for the main service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.